0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: Gratitude and kindness actually strengthens the reward pathway. So when you're nice to someone, it's not just for them. It's for you as well. Mm. You get a sense of satisfaction from that. And then those pathways are sort of turn into a positive feedback loop. So you're nice. It feels nice. So then you're more nice, you know? And I think it's really important because it it does actually restructure the brain.
0: This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. A very warm welcome to all of you good humans out there. Great to have you here today listening to Good Humans Podcast. If you're new here, great to have you here. Hopefully you learn a lot from today's episode. This is a very special one. Today we are speaking to Nicole Vignola, a friend of mine who I met through social media who's a neuroscientist from over in the UK Her story is so special and I learned so many incredible things when it came to brain science and understanding the different things that we put in our body, how it affects our brains, all different ideas around what we do that affects our brain. So I was so interested and intrigued by everything I learned in this chat. I'm sure you will learn so much as well. If you do learn anything, make sure you try and put it into place. Make sure you try and action something that you think might have a positive effect on your life. If you do enjoy the episode and there's parts that you think others can learn from, please make sure you share it with them. Make sure that you let us know what you enjoy about the episode. It would be awesome if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you're enjoying it, make sure you hit that subscribe button. It does help us a lot with the algorithm and yeah, notifies you when new episodes are coming out. We are bringing out two episodes a week. I do make a special pledge later on in this episode, so I'll let you hear it, but I will be moving up to three episodes a week, which is a bit daunting for me, but um, there's a very special reason why I'm going to do the extra short episode, so you'll hear about that later in this chat. Once again, Nicole is incredible. You're going to learn so much from this chat make sure you tag us on socials and yeah let's get straight into the conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Miss Neuroscience Nicole Vignola. How are you doing, Nicole?
1: I'm good, thank you. How are you? thank you for inviting me.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's great to have you on. I'm so fascinated to learn more about the brain and more about your story. So I guess for the good human listeners, who are you and what do you do?
1: So my name is Nicole. I studied neuroscience at the University of Bristol. I Loved it, obviously, Um, love, hate. Uh, But I I realized that there was a market or a gap in the market to make neuroscience accessible. So what I did is I studied my, well, I'm completing my master's in organizational psychology so that I can make neuroscience accessible to people in the industry. I found that obviously neuroscience is great and psychology is great, but there's not that many people that are marrying the two together. So I work with um, organizations. I reshape them. I help them sort of go from A to B by working with people so I guess I'm like a consultant to the people so I essentially make the company more money but by making the people happier I also do um, sort of seminars organizational speeches uh, like talks uh, workshops and now currently going into working one-on-one with people on like a brain performance sort of side of things where I don't look at mental health per se in like a consult Uh, like a therapy way I look at the brain health so I look at sort of sleep hydration um, you know uh, we can do epigenetic testing yeah I said hydration already nutrition and I just bring all of these things together to work on their cognitive performance so we do psychometric testing before and after we yes different metrics I basically help them organize their lives and then we measure their brain processing speed as well by having them do like brain games and stuff which is pretty cool (laughs)
0: It's, it's so interesting I'm so excited yes, for this. yeah yeah we're good sorry for anyone out there up. Nicole is over in England right now we are over Zoom so we're trying yeah. our best with connection but I think you should be fine but wow it's so fascinating I'm really excited for this conversation I've got so many questions but first I want to get to know you a little bit better so let's rewind to a bit of your story where'd you grow up what was your upbringing like and yeah what was your what was your passions at school
1: yeah so I was born in Italy I then moved over to South Africa where I actually had a pretty polarizing upbringing because obviously South Africa is so amazing. And I grew up surfing, not like you, but I I did grow up surfing, which is great. Um, But my father was schizophrenic um, and he committed suicide when I was young, quite young. I was 11. So my upbringing was then sort of, yeah, weird, I guess. Um, It it was great though for me because when I ended up going to high school, I sort of detached myself from the shadow aspects of school so like girls talking about other girls and girls talking about boys I just I didn't really find interest in all of that up until a bit later um, but I, I found sort of life a bit more profound in a way if that makes sense I guess I had loads to deal with with the, with the death of my dad um, but I delved into sports so I was um I'm big on sports I did hockey I did horse riding and swimming I, did, I mean any sport I've tried it so but hockey was my thing loved surfing never really got that good at it but yeah, it was it was amazing. My best friend Danielle, hey Danielle, if you're listening, um, she actually ended up living with me when we were like 14 or 15. I was sorry, my dog's just going out for a walk. Um, it was great, and we'd come home after school, and we'd literally like have our bikinis under our school uniform, get on our bicycles, cycle down to the to the beach. Our surfboards were at the um, lifeguard tower, and we just, yeah, it was great. Go for a swim, go for a surf, and then cycle back home. So yeah, I guess that was my upbringing.
0: And where was that in South Africa? You probably said it just then, but I kind of. Was... I
1: didn't actually. Um, Richards Bay. So it's just outside Durban. Okay.
0: I have been to Durban. I spent a lot of time yeah. in Durban. not a lot of time in Durban, but I do have some good friends in Durban. It's a beautiful place. Oh, uh,
1: cool. Yeah. They've got the Bolido Pro there as well. So yeah. Yeah. Competed there.
0: I've, I've competed in the Bolido Pro many times.
1: Amazing. <laughs>
0: I, I love it down there. It's gorgeous. You touched on, yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. I love South Africa. You touched on your dad passing away from suicide and having schizophrenia. What was it like if you're happy to talk about it after that happened? And how did you find dealing with that? Because it is quite difficult speaking to some young people when their family members pass away at quite a young age. Can you remember much from back then how you kind of processed it?
1: Yeah, well, I guess I didn't actually. I didn't for a very long time. And I think only probably in my late- teenage years to early 20s probably only late 20s that I really sort of start getting a grip on that but I remember when it just happened for years I, I didn't speak about it you know my friends knew that it happened but they would ask where my dad was and I'd say things like oh he's moved back to Italy um because I just I couldn't deal with it like there was no I always, I, I couldn't talk about it um so but my mom was great like we we had a good relationship she was a great friend she wasn't a great mom that's another conversation, but she was a great friend. And I think that that's really important. So you see it in children who go through trauma, the ones that have networks around them that are loving, they are normally the ones that then flourish. Um, so it's all based on social connection, which is amazing. There's a guy called Dr. Bruce Perry, who does a lot of research on this. He's, a, he's an MD actually, uh, he's a psychiatrist. And I think because my mum was loving, I managed to sort of come out the other side. Like I'm absolutely fine now, but Mm. I guess that the hard work really came sort of mid twenties. I mean, I was in London partying, drinking loads, and I never really had a lot of self-awareness and you don't realize how much of that has an impact on the rest of your life if you don't deal with it. Mm. And I had this sort of lack of self-awareness, lack of, I guess, self-love as well. You don't really, I, I guess I was free flowing through life. I didn't really know where I was or, and then that's when, I guess I started learning about the brain and brain health and mental health. And I guess that's really when I truly started working on it.
0: Yeah, it sounds like that's when that passion really fired up. What was, we'll rewind just a little bit, because we're going to speak quite a lot about the um, brain health (laughs) and the neuroscience stuff very shortly. But leaving high school, what was that next period of your life like?
1: Oh, I was wild. I, um, I moved to Germany. Again, I went to Au Pair. I was there for three weeks. Absolutely hated it. My best friend was in London, and he was like, "Come and see me. Um, I'll book a hotel." And I went, and then he was like, "I've got to go back to Germany." And he was he was in the army at the time, and I was like, "Cool. I've got um, I've got the hotel for four days, and then I basically got one suitcase. I might as well just stay." And I stayed in London, and I didn't know a single soul. So I then told a the friend in South Africa. They were like, "I know someone who rents out their sofa for five pounds a night." <laughs> I could be stranger, I lived on the sofa for three months. He's still a good friend of mine. Um, Wow. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know, crazy. And then it was really weird. I was working in a gym. So obviously I've always been quite sporty. I used to work at Virgin Active. I then got a job at Virgin Active in London and I was working um, as a personal trainer. And one of the gym, one of the girls on reception was saying how she was doing this course to get into university, and I was like, "Oh, I didn't know you could do that because there was no thought of me ever going to university. I didn't do well at school. Uh, my stepfather actually died when I was 18 in my last year of school, um, so again, that set me back, and I just there was no thought of me ever studying. So when she said that, I was like, "Oh my God, you're saying there's a chance." <laughs> um, so I redid everything. I redid my GCSEs, which is like. Um, it's like high school or secondary Diploma school
2: level.
1: Yeah, it's like you do that when you're 13, 14. So it's like really, I've read it, all of that. I've wow. read it, everything to get into university. So I started studying when I was 26. I then went into neuroscience.
0: Wow, that's super interesting. What were what were your goals when you finished school when it comes to career path? Because obviously, going into neuroscience, a lot of people will hear neuroscience and think, like, wow, that's like a brain, not a doctor, but like a brain scientist how does some what what were the what was your goals after school because yeah we'll talk about what when neuroscience came up as your interest but what were the goals after school career wise
1: I don't know I don't know I I don't think I had any I never I never thought I would study I always Mm -hmm. knew I wanted to because I I wanted to study I always I was always fascinated with the brain I always wanted to either neuroscience psychology or medicine something you know in that realm but because I practically failed high school. I mean, I think I finished with like 48% average, which is really bad. <laughs> no one's going to take you in like that. So I don't, I never, I never really had any goals per se. I came to England and it just sort of fell on me that I became a personal trainer. And I was kind of just, I guess it, like free flowing through life, yeah. no real direction. But
0: do, do you think the interest in the brain was around your dad's schizophrenia at all when you were younger?
1: Yes, and also my neighbour was a doctor, so I was always really that before my dad even died. I was really fascinated with um with yeah Mark, my my neighbour. He would like teach me about things, and I was always asking those of stuff. And um, but yes, yeah, so I guess my dad being schizophrenic sort of solidified the uh, the yeah, interest, yeah. even if I wasn't aware of it. There was definitely mm, like
2: I remember when I
1: Yeah, I remember I was about 14 years old and I always used to tie my hair up. And then one day I just started tying it down or something. And I remember thinking, it blew my mind I know it sounds so like mundane now, but I'm like, why did I start doing my hair a different way? I didn't even consciously think about it. Mm. And I think that, I remember that thought vividly, like triggered me thinking, I need to know what goes on in the brain.
2: Because
0: I didn't
1: think about doing my hair a different way. I just did. So I must have seen something and then just decided to do it. It's really basic, but yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's it's so interesting. I've I've got a very similar brain, I think, like that as well, a very curious brain. I think curiosity is one of the most important values or one of the most important things that every human should have, whether it be curiosity about improving their life or just curiosity about any topic. So often we get sort of sold through the media and through everything that this is this. And like at school, we go through school thinking that what we get taught is gospel. And the more yeah. I, the more I research and the more I learn after school, I realize so much of it is yeah. not, not bullshit, but so much of it is insignificant.
1: Yeah, exactly, and they don't really teach you life skills either. But back to the um, curiosity. So, staying and I guess we'll talk about this a little bit later. But staying sort of curious and learning is actually the thing that's going to promote longevity. Uh And you see that in older adults or, you know, elderly people that have continued to to grow and to learn and who volunteer or who take up different hobbies because that's the, it keeps the brain brain plasticity intact or integral as you would. So.
0: I love it. Yeah. I love it. I'm so excited to talk about the brain. I'm like trying to just drag (laughs) out, drag out the front a little bit more (laughs) because I've got so many brain questions for you, but let's, Uh, um let's go down now to that early twenties part of your life when the so you did these tests and stuff to get into university what was it like getting into university for you to be able to study it um was it difficult because I can imagine I know here in Australia like to get into study neuroscience I'm sure it's a pretty high ATAR which is what our university entry is um and then once you were there what was the study like for someone who hadn't studied and failed at school because I can imagine it would have been quite difficult for you changing yeah uh,
1: Yeah, it was quite difficult also because, um, you know, when you're a bit older, you have a different standard of living. So I still wanted to earn money. I still wanted to work and I still wanted to sort of provide for myself, even though I I had to study. So I didn't want to live in halls. I didn't want to live sort of like as a student would, if you would. So, yeah, um, I think that was quite tricky trying to balance it all. So I was still running my personal training business on the side um so you know december came around i was doing my taxes while everyone else was sort of taking a december break um and i was sort of trying to study and also run my business um getting into university i actually applied for medicine three times and i got rejected three times um (laughs) but i um i got into neuroscience straight away
2: nice
1: so yeah but but the the access course that i did the foundation yeah you, you had to get a distinction there so i did well which done. meant that it was actually quite easy for me to get into neuroscience thank you i was like oh, this turns out i'm actually quite smart but i just didn't <laughs> study at school
0: <laughs> that's crazy so let's talk about university what was that experience like for you studying and beginning to learn about like what sort of topics do you i'm completely and i'm sure a lot of the guests out there i mean a lot of the uh, listeners out there have got no idea what goes into studying neuroscience as far as I know, it's studying the brain, but what are yeah. some of the sort of topics that you study? Through? I mean, I'm sure there's millions, but there's loads. Um, is
1: honestly, it to, is it a lot to do with
0: like medicine and like physiology and anatomy and stuff, or yeah. also cause and effect? Yeah,
1: yeah, ph- loads of pharmacology and neurophysiology. So loads of stuff on like the micro, like nanomolar scale. So like interactions through the cell and the synapse. Um, it's quite, and then this is one of the reasons why I struggled as well, is because you're looking at these things you can't even see. So I remember people asking me questions about like, whether the brain was mostly made up of fat. And I remember thinking, I don't even know, cause we go into so deep mm. that I don't even know the basics in a way. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: yeah, And kind of it's,
1: it's hard, it's hard. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I've done some tough things in my life. That was honestly, when you're studying neuroscience, I mean, I, like in my last year, I think I had about three mental breakdowns because it was just so hard.
0: So
2: um, difficult. And
1: yeah, just so difficult. Um, and half the time, you don't know what you're talking about. You're like, yeah, this could be, but it's, it is amazing. And actually I've learned a lot more coming out because I guess that's what university does. It sets the foundations for you. So now when I read about things, so this is what my Instagrams about, is trying to make it all tangible for people um because a lot of that stuff i didn't learn at university but mm. i've learned afterwards but i now know how to do the research and when they talk about mechanisms i know i know what they are and i can make sense of them whereas if i hadn't i probably would read things but then not truly understand how they worked
0: yes yeah, so i like, guess i actually learned
1: loads more afterwards
0: sorry to interrupt you but yeah no no what gonna say? zoom makes it hard no i was just gonna say i think that's what's important with any topic like until you can describe it to somebody who doesn't understand it that's when you know you've actually got a good understanding of it like like you said i will leave for everyone in the show notes your instagram it's been really cool like me and you have been connecting on there a little bit and i reshare a lot of your stuff because it really interests me and i think you do do a great way of articulating complex topics in a way that people can digest and understand it in a way that makes sense
1: and hopefully make it relevant to them as well because yeah I was doing loads of posts before, but I realized that my Instagram wasn't doing that well because I wasn't really making it tangible for people. I wasn't making Mm. it relevant to the human. I was just sort of explaining different topics, but not really sort of nailing it home. And I think when people can attach to it, they're like, oh, actually this is really relevant to me. And pretty much all of it is relevant to everyone, but yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's what I'm gonna give you some pretty simple topics or very topics that most people will know about and yeah. give you a few questions on the effects they have on the brain but one of the first things I want to ask you is what's a, one of the most common min, misconceptions when you talk about neuroscience and mental health obviously the good humans podcast and the good humans brand has an underlying theme of mental health what's one of the most common misconceptions around mental health and the, uh, neuroscience
1: um so we spoke about this a little bit but I find that people don't put the two together so People will be doing the work. They'll be working on their mental health, um, which is great. But then they might not necessarily be getting enough sleep or they're drinking loads still or um, taking recreational drugs. Not, and, and something as simple as hydrating. Like Some people don't even drink water. You know? mm. I have to tell my clients, but like, have you drunk water today? Like I drank loads of coffee or <sighs> there's water in that. And I'm like, you need to hydrate. Your entire being is based on action potentials communicating through a membrane in water in your brain. So you need water. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> So I think the misconception misconception is not putting brain health and mental health together. I think another misconception is that people think there's an there's this is a, a common one that scientists talk about, but um people think that they only use 10% of their brains, whereas you actually use hundred percent of it even when you're sleeping. It's just okay. that obviously different processes are happening during different times of the day, but you use your entire brain.
0: Okay, I'll give you another one that I've heard a lot about that I'm curious about. The idea that mental health problems are from a chemical imbalance in our brain. How much of that is true and how much of that is pharmaceutical marketing?
1: Wow, that's a big question. I think, <laughs> I think, it's, I, I think it depends. I think, yeah. um, like you said earlier, we live in a world where you, people associate mental health with mental illness. Um, And just because you have having a mental health problem right now doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a mental health problem forever. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, there definitely are chemical imbalances, 100 percent, but those could be temporary. You know, I I went through a really stressful period this whole year. My partner and I set up a business whilst finishing my master's whilst me running another business. And it was so taxing. People don't tell you how hard it is to start a a business with your partner. Um, and my mental health, both of us, but like my mental health just totally declined. But I know that that's not me suffering with depression. It's me suffering with depression right now. Mm. It doesn't mean that I'm going to have depression forever. It just meant that right now, like, yeah, there might be an imbalance in my brain and I might be struggling to sort of deal with like mundane things. Like, I don't know, I remember like things breaking and like just it'd be such a big thing for me that I couldn't deal with. Mm. But if, you know, if your brain chemistry is diminished because it's trying to account for other things like survival, then everything else is gonna take the back foot. So I think it's important for, and also this is important for me to mention that I'm a plastician. I I believe in, I studied synaptic plasticity, brain plasticity, neuroplasticity. So I am a firm believer that the brain can change. Yeah. Um, and, and that's my approach to a lot of things. So. Um, I have some people who come to me and they say, I think I might be suffering with depression or I think I might be suffering with ADHD or whatever. And I try and implement everything else before, obviously they're psychiatrists, which is great, but everything else, can we do anything else before we resort to medication? Mm. And I guess we'll get to the conversation of medication, but um, so to answer your question, uh, what was your question again? The question
0: was <laughs> just like, because I did some Instagram polls basically. And it was like, I asked people, um, are you on antidepressants? And however many said yes. And then I said to those people, like if you click yes on the last one, were you offered any other solution before being given antidepressants? Mm. And it was something like 50% of people or 60% of people said no. So I just think, yeah. I mean, I know, but like in Australia, I'm pretty sure we're the second most prescribed anti-depression or any anxiety wow. medication per capita in the world, which I think we yeah. have a, um, a problem with like the healthcare system for over-prescribing.
1: Yeah. So in England, I, I, I would say we're not, we're not the same, which is great. Mm. I think it's quite a vigorous system and it's quite a vigorous sort of process to get antidepressants. But I, I am fully aware of the fact that there is over-prescription, especially in places like the USA, um, and in Australia, like you've just said. Um, yeah, and it's, and it's interesting because um, there are other, so they actually did a study at Oxford University where they uh, prescribe people with mindful, mindfulness-based meditation and they found that 50% of the participants, sorry, up, yeah, I think, I can't remember exactly the stats, but they, they came off their, um, their antidepressants completely and I think 50% of them lowered the dose so they could manage their depression with mindfulness-based meditation. And so, and the other thing about anxiety, and I spoke about this a lot of my, um, in, one of my t- in one of my posts, but so EMDR therapy, I get asked this question load, is essentially what you're doing when you're walking outside. So when you're walking outside, your eyes are moving side to side laterally. And that means that your frontal lobes are competing with the amygdala. So the amygdala is your fear processing center. It's the area that can become hyperactive and then start self-ruminating, start sort of believing that everything is potential danger. And that's where anxiety stems from. And walking, something as simple as walking can actually deactivate that amygdala and actually create extinction learning. So extinction learning is when you basically become desensitized to a stimulus. Uh So something as simple as walking, something as simple as meditation could potentially be helping loads of people but the thing is it's easy to prescribe isn't it you can't mm. doctors and i don't know about that but here we have the national health service they don't have the time to be like checking that people are meditating or prescribing a meditation and then people don't like well i came to you for something and now you're me meditation yeah. so it's hard it's really hard
0: absolutely so, it's hard meditation's a massive one i love that you brought it up first What is meditation yeah. what does meditation do for, to the brain
1: oh gosh loads loads so um i actually did a talk on this recently so it it helps with the self rumination so there's an area of the brain called the default mode network and that is essentially your brain when you're not thinking about anything when your mind wandering, when you're just pondering life thinking about future goals past or thinking about you know friends how you think about how you feel about them that's your default mode network um, that can be upregulated or downregulated. That means that it can either be up- upregulated in a way that makes you more creative, but it can also be upregulated in a way that makes you more negative or um, have negative self-referential information about yourself. So you you talk badly to yourself, if you will. Um, and meditation actually helps that area sort of ruminate less and wonder less. So when you meditate, it's not that you start, to, or it it translates into everyday life. So when you start steering away from your center point, if you will, meditation teaches you to not steer away too far, but not in a way that goes, don't, don't go there, come back, come back. It actually just, it doesn't allow you to wander so far away. So it actually teaches you to sort of control your thoughts, but not in a controlling way. I, I think that's mm,
0: the In a letting go anyway. way almost.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and, and how often have you sat and just took an internal thought and thought about how you are? And I think that's what meditation does as well. It gives you that, it just gives you that sort of five, 10 minutes to just be, mm-hmm. not be in the past, not be in the future, just be with yourself. And so many people don't know how to be with themselves. I used to be one of those people that I used to hate being at home alone on a Friday night. I'd be like, oh my God, like I have to find someone to hang out yeah. with. Now I'm like, when my boyfriend goes away, I'm like, bye, I can't wait. <laughs> i can't wait i love being alone so and i think that that's also what meditation does so meditation actually shrinks the amygdala as well so there's there's studies to show that it can reduce the size of the amygdala and as i said the amygdala is the fear processing center so it can actually reduce anxiety through mechanisms that actually shrink it
0: wow that's so powerful yeah Speaking of neuroblame, neurobrain, neurobrain plasticity—that's how our brain can change. A lot of people struggle to pick up meditation as a skill, so I think yeah. it'll be a good one to like talk about the idea of building habits and the idea yeah. of something that we find quite difficult to implement into our life. What do you have to say about that? If someone is like, "I can't meditate; it doesn't work for me," how long should it take for our brain to start really changing and taking a new habit on? Um-
1: Saying how long it will take is quite a difficult question to answer because it's all dependent. Yeah. But what I will say is so your entire past experience, history, life, whatever, has basically shaped the way that you behave and you don't even realize it. So mm. um, 10% of your th- thought processes are conscious and the rest are all subconscious. So your brain, you walk into a room and you switch the light on with your right hand. You didn't even think about that. You just did it. If you now say to yourself, okay, you're going to start using your left hand, you'll find it quite difficult to begin with because they're called mental heuristics, but they're actually mental shortcuts. Your brain wants to take the easiest route it can so that it can save energy for your frontal cortex so that you can then save that energy for decision-making. So for for problem-solving decision-making, which is, is your conscious brain. So, your brain is actually not lazy, it's just smart in a way that it wants to save energy for you just in case. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's... So,
1: you have to tell it, I am going to make this a change. But the thing is, it'll always revert back to what it knows. So, that's why checking in with a coach or having a habit tracker or setting an alarm. Is really important because otherwise, how many times have you woken up on a Monday and you said, I'm gonna start meditating? And then you guessed it Friday and you've completely forgot you've even said that?
2: Mm. It's not
1: even that you didn't do it, you just forgot that you were gonna do that. Yeah. So it's really important to drive attention to the thing you want to change until that becomes effortless and it takes time. And so to answer your question, it depends how much effort you're putting in, how often you're putting it in. And I guess how, there's an element of motivation. How badly do you want it? Yeah. Yeah. You
0: know? Have you heard of the concept of habit stacking? Yeah. James Clear, that book, Atomic Habits, incredible. Because I think you touching Great on that, that idea of like, oh, Meditating, if you started on a Monday by the end of the week, you forget about it. A lot of people can relate to that, but I love the idea of habit stacking. And for me, my morning routine is literally all about habit stacking now. I'm like, all right, I give myself an hour, where I wake up, I brush my teeth, I go to the toilet. I'll do a 20 minute meditation. Well, actually at the moment now I live right next to the beach. So I like walk over and watch the sunrise and nice. do a br- breath work session, which I do want to talk to you about breath work.
2: Amazing.
0: And then I'll come back and I'll do my 20 minute meditation straight into some reading. So I kind of stack all these things on top and make it into yeah. like.
1: Yeah. So I, I actually, I haven't read the book. I know, I know of the book and I, I, I know the concepts of it. Obviously I'm not saying I know the book, like yeah. better but um, I've, I've heard of it, but um, so I'm, big on routine so i have Mm. a morning routine and an evening routine because then that gives you that window to 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 put in all the things you said you're going to change and i think slotting that time out is extremely important because if you say you're going to meditate but then you don't have a time for that for that to happen most chances are you're not going to do that
2: yeah and that's why i
1: think people go like trying to lose weight and stuff is quite hard because or trying to change eating habits i'll say um, because if you're used to eating a certain way when you're tired and that's another thing when you're tired your mental heuristics take over even more because they're trying to really save energy for your frontal cortex so Interesting. yeah put either habit stacking or you know putting a reminder i have clients that i literally like i schedule every single part of their day until that becomes normal to them and they don't need me anymore
0: yeah i love that the idea of routine it can really is a it- fastest and kind of only way to really get consistent and long lasting change you touched briefly on just then sleep and i know how important sleep and hydration are so let's speak yeah. about sleep for a little bit and the importance of it and the effects on our brain
1: yeah so i did a post recently about um, testosterone and um this is relevant to women as well i have a lot of sort of women that will read some of my posts and not understand that testosterone and human growth hormones actually really important for both male and female but so um, on, you basically have deep sleep and then you get REM sleep. So you come up and then you go back down. Um, as the night progresses, your REM sleep actually gets a little bit longer. Now in that REM sleep, that is when you're releasing testosterone. And that's really important for muscle growth. It's really important for brain health as well, maintaining brain um, cognition. Mm-hmm. And if you sleep only six hours, you're actually losing an entire cycle of REM. So you're losing 25% of what you could have released during the night. That doesn't amount to 25% daily testosterone release because you do release throughout the day as well. So it amounts to about sort of 10 to 15% of your daily testosterone. Now, that's, that's a lot.
2: Mm.
1: If you're, especially if you're doing sports, especially if you're working in a sort of high-functioning job. So sleep is extremely important to, to make sure you get the, the, the length, but also the depth. So deep sleep is in the first two stages of the night. Um, you get deep sleep, which is stage three and four, slow, the, uh, slow delta waves. That's when you release human growth hormone. So that's what's really important to get good deep sleep, but also length of sleep. So not just eight hours of sleep, um, but making sure that it's, it's, it's quality. And the problem with sleep is that it regulates so many genes and it's important in so many processes. But they found that people that don't get enough sleep, they actually downregulate their immunity, their immunity. So the genes that code for immunity and inflammation. And I mean, we know that inflammation causes neurodegenerative in the brain. So you're essentially killing your brain cells by not sleeping enough.
0: Wow. So, so what's your yeah. recommendation? Time sleep. And also, I'm a bit curious about the idea of before going to sleep the i like taking away from screen time and then also a concept that i've heard about recently is the idea of making sure when you wake up getting straight out in the light to start melatonin and the circadian rhythm i mean i kind of gave you two questions then but can you talk about the pre-sleep routine which what you recommend (laughs) length of sleep and then post sleep when you wake up what you recommend in the mornings yeah so
1: i i'm a big I'm a big person on having sort of a routine. So nine o'clock, I switch my phone on airplane mode. Oh, I try anyway. Look, I'm not. I'm not perfect, and I do my best. But um, I put my phone on airplane mode. I switch off the Wi-Fi as well. Now, there's there's a bit of confounding data with the with the Wi-Fi with the electromagnetic. Heard about this? Yeah, but but at the end of the day, for me. It doesn't cost you anything. Just turn it off. Yeah, exactly. And also for me, it's like a psychological switch. I'm switching off the Wi-Fi. I'm switching myself off. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a little routine. I sort of take my supplements. I take magnesium. Magnesium is like for me is the best sleep aid you can use. I mean, I know loads of people use CBD um, and I think CBD is great. I have a lot of sort of other thoughts about CBD. I wouldn't personally rely on a compound that mimics my endogenous system. So CBD, your, your body already makes. Okay. Right. And it's a neuromodulator that modulates for a lot of things in your body. So if you were going to take CBD, I would personally recommend not taking it every single day. Okay. You also start becoming dependent on it, but magnesium magnesium is not, your body does make it, but you get it from food. Right. Mm. So magnesium L3 eight L that's L3 eight is probably the best one for sleep. It crosses the blood brain barrier and it helps sort of modulate GABA, which puts you to sleep. Or a full spectrum magnesium, which is what I use, just because it has seven different types of magnesium in it. Yeah. It's got um, magnesium bisglycinate in it and orotate, which both help sleep. They don't cross the blood blood brain barrier, but they do help put you to sleep. So I always take magnesium every night. Um, and then sleep hygiene. So like I'll try and stretch. I think stretching is really good. I don't actually know the science behind it, but there's got to be something like the, mm. the releasing of tension. I mean yeah 100 uh switching off the wi-fi and then yeah just trying to read before bed and just having that hour I think it's really important for us to try and detach from our phones and mm. um, recently I gained quite a few followers the last few months and I found that I'm like I'm on my phone so much more it's really so bad.
0: addictive yeah me too I'm just I like and I feel like I give myself the excuse oh it's for work but I'm like yourself should come first no, over yeah. that every single time if you can't Switch off for the first and last hour of the day, then you got something wrong. Yeah. But quickly, something I'm yeah. a sucker for. I always watch just chug Netflix on and like let it f- pass me out to sleep. How bad's that for me?
1: Right. <laughs> uh, if you're falling asleep, then you're obviously fine. But you've got to then break that sleep, right?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> you got to break but- the sleep to get into bed. I think that that'll be probably the problem is that you have to break it too. Well, I
0: normally like lie in bed says. with my laptop and have like just Netflix on the uh, laptop watching, like, and I'll just like doze off while I'm watching something, <laughs> and like, yeah, that's kind of a bad routine I that mean, I've, a habit that I've created. Well, but, if
1: you're getting sleep, I would say you could probably better it, but I don't think it's that bad if you're getting if you're getting sleep.
0: Okay, yeah, right? I, I fall asleep great. I just put it on and put well, something that makes me not think about it. It's just an easy way for me to become present and. Like, switched into think, that rather than thinking about thoughts, I just like listen yeah. and put it on very low brightness, and then I'd usually fall asleep within 20 minutes. Well, then
1: I think that's great. I think that's great, honestly. Like,
0: yes, more Netflix, <laughs>
1: yeah. I think, I think the problem comes in when I get clients that are so sort of like their brains are going so quickly, and then they also can't sleep, you know. Yeah, so yeah. If you can fall asleep, then it just yeah,
0: okay, it's fine. So, so we've got to sleep eight hours, we should yep. aim for
1: yeah eight so you work you sleep in sort of like 90 minutes rhythms, cycles 20 yeah minutes REM. yeah so um seven and a half to nine yeah is ideal
0: yeah because you get those it means you... you get those mornings where Sorry. you wake up and you feel awake compared to sleepy even though you've had more sleep is that because we're at the bottom and the top of sleep cycles
1: yeah so ideally you want to come out of your rem and then come out after then so that's also why sometimes you wake up and then you feel really groggy you might have woken up in the middle of your cycle when you should have been down you know you wake up and then yeah it doesn't doesn't feel very nice
0: yeah make sure Um, you check out um, yeah i was gonna say make sure you check out nicole's page i'm sure between now and this coming out and me bringing it up how interesting it is you might i mean you posted about this the other day so go back and have a look because nicole does post some stuff about these sleep cycles and i'm sure not many people have heard too much about it so make sure you go check that out um Sorry to cut you off. Just then, the Zoom thing's no, getting no, me, no, but right. let's talk about now when you wake up. How important is that first hour from hydration to other things?
1: Yeah. So um, Huberman Lab talks loads about mm, the um, getting getting out first thing in the morning. Uh, yeah, he's great. Um, so that that is because you release cortisol actually. So you want your your cortisol starts rising when you wake up, and then when you go outside, if you you have um, <laughs> you have basically retinal cells, I can't remember the entire word, uh, IBGCRs, ah, can't remember. Something in your eye. <laughs> yeah, intrinsically photosensitive ganglion retinal cells. There we go. <laughs> oh,
0: well done. <laughs>
1: Mouthful, I know, I know, it's like, I talk about it all the time, so I should know this, but uh, yeah, intrinsically photosensitive um, ganglion retinal cells. So they basically pick up the light and then they signal, they have a cascade mechanism that signals to the rest of the body that you're essentially awake. So having that, initial light is really important it's really important because it spikes your cortisol so that by the time it comes back down for the evening you can then go to sleep because your sleep cycle is based on cortisol release coming up and then going back down okay. um, so cortisol is not always bad so this is one example where cortisol is actually really essential for um for brain function or bodily functions if you will so nice. um yeah and, and and i actually read an interesting page paper that I didn't get the chance to finish, but they were speaking about something about how, if you go on your phone first thing in the morning, you actually skip out those important beta waves, uh, sorry, alpha waves before you go into beta. So beta is higher frequency. It's between eight and 12, no, 12 to 14, eight and 12 is um, alpha. Sorry. That's when you're meditating. That's your alpha wave. Okay. Um, when you sleep, you obviously come out from Delta and then alpha and into beta, right? To get you ready for the day. Mm. If you got your phone straight away, you skip out that alpha wave state, then that's really important because it, it, it's it's n- it's high frequency, but it's not so high frequency that you're getting ready to work. Yeah. If you're already putting yourself in the state to work, like first thing as you wake up, it's quite, it's quite damaging for the brain. Also because your brain works on 90-minute ultradian rhythms, even when you're awake. Okay. So you do it when you sleep. It also happens when you're awake and you go through these stages where you come up high frequency, higher frequency, and then low frequency back into alpha, back up into beta, back down into alpha. So if you're skipping that alpha stage, you're sort of messing with your brain states.
0: Yeah. Do you want to explain? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people. I mean, I feel like I've read and researched this stuff a little bit, and I'm still a bit confused with the whole brain waves. Can you explain yeah. like the idea of just like alpha, beta, theta, like how they all work? Because I like listen to binaural beats some nights, and but I fully don't understand the concept. And I'm sure probably 90% of people listening to this don't either. Give us a like yeah. dumbed down version.
1: <laughs> so your beta waves are your working waves. So when you're focused, when you're doing something that's sort of quite task heavy, you would be in a beta frequency. So your brain waves are literally... Okay. Pretty, yeah. Yeah, they're in a higher frequency Okay. So that will be like sort of 12 to 14 to 15 and then you get b to one and b to two you can go up to 40 hertz which is really really high that's like you're very stressed
2: okay
1: okay so um your brain does that it doesn't go all the way up to 40 but it does do these cycles regardless of whether you're thinking about it or not that's just what the brain does and that's why I teach my clients to capitalize on the meditation sessions Mm. when your brain waves come back down. Mm. I actually have worked out when at what time of the day they should be meditating according to when they woke up. I work it out with 90 minute sort of rhythms. It's really interesting. I can send you a chart. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, um, alpha is slower. It's you sort of having your eyes closed or just really relaxed, maybe listening to music, not doing that much, that's why I try and teach my clients not to overthink meditation either. I just get them to literally put their phone away for ten minutes and not think about anything, or not,
2: not think about like, yeah,
1: yeah, just not worry about work or just just be, just exist. Mm. Close your eyes and don't look at your phone. How long mm. have you gone ten minutes without looking at your phone in you know, a daily basis? You know, unless you're in a podcast, but I'm still looking at a screen. Mm. You know, otherwise it's like phone call here, text there. Oh, I just got to yeah. do this. Check my Instagram. Yeah. So just. Yeah, so those, those brain waves will happen regardless alpha, beta, alpha, beta. So, delta and theta are your sleep waves. Okay. So, you'd be asleep if you were in those waves. Although, there are some people that meditate that can actually go into delta brain waves, um, but will sort of keep alpha in the back of the head, like the, the visual cortex. So, and you're not essentially asleep, but yeah. you're still in a very sort of calm state.
0: And brain waves, just to really dumb it down, because like, I feel like I know more about it than the actual really like you were talking about before the idea that like you know so much about it that you take a step out and it's like our yeah. brain like our brain operates in yeah way like that just kind of like, vibration yeah it,
1: it's it's yeah it's, it's brain frequency so um i guess it's uh, i can't remember exactly but it's the amount of effort that's happening in the brain so between okay. the perfect yeah, way to describe it's, it yeah it's it's it's, it's kind of like how how much effort do you
0: need and different frequencies promote different things in the brain: healing, growing, blah blah blah. So it's like you've got more chance of like healing and whatnot when you're in these ones because you're asleep or because you're meditating. You're gonna perform at a higher level when you're in these ones because that's when the brain's moving at a higher function.
1: Yeah, exactly. So like you you can't you can't you can't do task work, for example, in alpha waves. That's okay. your meditative state. You won't, you wouldn't be able to focus. So. I hope that that, your question. Yeah, it's yeah, really but then, awesome like, topic.
0: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, like, then the alpha state promotes performing <laughs> better in the beta state when we're in that high frequency. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, because that and that's another thing is if people don't take recoveries, it's, I always describe it as adrenaline is the key, and then cortisol is the pedal. And if you don't take those breaks, you're just, you're just like ramming down that pedal all day with the cortisol. And you're going to be, you know, you're going to have other detrimental effects of too much cortisol because you're not actually capitalizing on the recoveries. And that's why meditation is really important. it just gives you that. It almost like switching off and switching it back on yeah. twice a day. For yeah.
0: That's so interesting. I've still got so many topics yeah. I want to talk to you about. So we're going to go on to exercise. What does, ex- <laughs> what does exercise do for the brain? How important is it?
1: I got notes. I mean, yeah, I can talk about this. this, is, this I, is like a itself, I can do but... a
0: podcast. I've got like a list of topics and I'm probably going to <laughs> throw more. So I'll have to have you back on, but let's go exercise because yeah. we've got exercise, breath work, cold therapy, supplements people should take yeah, so... and alcohol and drugs. But we're going to finish on that. But let's go. Um, yeah, let's talk about exercise. Uh,
1: ex- exercise. So exercise um, boost BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor which is basically um, a molecule that helps with brain plasticity. So I won't go too much into it because it gets pretty really complicated, yeah. but it basically essentially um, strengthens the synapses in the brain. So you actually see it in older, they did a, they did a really, they did a recent study. It was, it was launched in, um, or published, not launched, it was published in January and they looked at the post-mortem brains, which sounds really depressing, which it is, of um, elderly people. And the ones that were active actually had stronger synaptic integrity between the synapses. There were more proteins that basically kept the synapses strong. So that, that essentially meant that their cognition was improved or was better than the people that didn't exercise because exercise boosts the BDNF, which maintains synaptic integrity in the brain. So, you know, I always say like if you don't exercise when you're younger, you might not notice a difference, especially if you're a bit younger and you don't really tend to put on body fat or you, you have good genetics or you, your metabolism is great, but it's not about that. It's about the rest of it. It's about your brain health. It's about what, how are going to feel when you're older? Mm. And I see that in my clients as well. Like the older ones are more, they're just more sort of cognitively agile. They're the ones that have stayed active. Yeah, and I think that that's really important. I mean, there's other factors involved, like hypertrophy, and you know, um, zone two training, where you're doing sort of the um, slow, steady work. You want to be doing about two to three hours of that a week for your yeah. cardiovascular system, but also for your brain health. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah,
0: exercise yeah. obviously important. I think everyone can listen to that and realize and i think it's a pretty common one but it's good to know as well that it is important not just for our physical body appearance and overall feeling but it is important for the brain as well another thing that i guess goes hand in hand with exercise is hydration how important is drinking water how much should we drink every day what's your recommendations around water or hydration Uh,
1: yeah look i'm actually doing a lot of research on this at the moment trying to figure out how much how many electrolytes we need um i actually do sweat tests and urine tests with some of my clients to (laughs) determine how many electrolytes they're losing when they are exercising and actually when some of them work in sort of high high functioning jobs where they're making sort of high risk decisions on a daily basis so they are extremely um reliant on making sure that their hydration is on point um so i don't know for the average person i know for them but that's just because they've had a blood test or a sweat test and that actually tells them but Salt. Something as simple as salt, not table salt, because table salt has got like anti-caking agents in it, Side and that's in. actually why. Yeah, that's why salt. That salt is really bad for you. But actually, proper salt, sea salt, Himalayan crystal salt. That's not. That's not that bad for you. It's actually really important. And um, I sometimes even just have a little crystal and I'll drink it with some water to still, like help absorb the water. Just uh-huh. something as simple as that. I drink electrolytes. That's because um, I. I just do. My partner was also really lucky to win a competition. So we had like a lifetime supply of electrolytes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I, I drink a lot that. of
1: electrolytes. Yeah. And the thing is you can't drink too much. If you do, you'll just, you know, you'll just urinate there, it out. So okay. it's all gravy. Um, but yeah, definitely drinking, if you're not, without putting a number on it, cause I don't want to get people sort of yeah, confused yeah. about, oh, I should be drinking three liters and then they don't drink anything all day. And then they have three liters at night yeah. and then they're up all night going to the loo. But um, drinking consistently like okay. i actually need to have a sip of drink because yeah. we've been i'm gonna have a i'm gonna have a sip of a sip drink, drink yeah. too.
0: <laughs> there you go a little water break anyone out there listening if you got a water next to you, take a sip
1: yeah consistently every sort of 15 minutes to half out just have a bit of water Okay. You know Love that. You get you, I get people that don't drink all day and then they're six o'clock. I mean, there was a TikTok about it, it was hilarious. I was crying with laughter and it's this girl who like walks into the living room and it says, Me when I decide to have my first cup of water at six o'clock and she's yeah, like everyone like, like, sort of yeah. applauding her. <laughs> I uh, thought that was so funny but so bad really I bad, know
0: that. Really I bad. Know that feeling all right a couple other things um <laughs> when it comes to this same sort of topic topic supplements what supplements are important for our brain health i've heard that the b ones are important obviously you said magnesium before it's something that i don't know too much about but let's talk about supplements and what can what can assist our brain what what most people are missing out on with their diet yeah so um
1: ideally i always say you want to get most of your supplements or or um yeah supplements if you're from yeah. your food vitamins eating and loads of veg. yeah now i live in england we don't have sun mm. <laughs> it's may it's about day April. Well, it's supposed to be spring and it's like really cold so um vitamin d for people that don't live in sunny areas is paramount because you can only get that from the sun interesting uh, yeah now i don't know about you guys in australia but we don't eat a lot of fish here and the ones that we do, they're not really good quality anyway. So and maybe um, I always, yeah, Omega-3s. Um, there's a lot of controversy around this topic. and I think because it's still newly emerging. But if you listen to any reputable scientist podcast, I mean, I, I, even fitness professionals, like the reputable ones, like Ben Greenfield, Dr. Huberman. Uh, there's a woman called louise uh, I can't remember her name. She, she, they, they are all agreeing on the same thing, and that is EPA and DHA. Now, I've done a meta-analysis, a mini, a mini meta-analysis on the effects of EPA and DHA, and they are profound. There's there's a lot of research to support that they are really good for the brain. They're really good for brain function. They are really good for synaptic strength, so the white matter transmission as well. So your white matter is essentially... Uh, uh fast conducting information is responsible Mm -hmm. for fast conducting information so that is essentially what starts generating when you have something like multiple sclerosis it's your white matter so you're still sending signals they're just not as quick and so everything's sort of staggered um i actually we have a client that does have multiple sclerosis and we have prescribed them with omega-3s and this is anecdotal sort of information it's not obviously a research uh standpoint or nor is it a case study in itself but he is seeing and it's it's, and then number of one so you know population Mm. one's not never a great size for for a research topic but um he's seeing amazing results you know and and i see amazing results when i take it so i take a thousand milligrams of epa every day
0: Okay, so EPA, yeah, you used um, a bit of an acronym before that I'm sure not many people picked up on. It sounded very sciencey, but so just yeah, highly recommend but, if, like, so like salmon and sort of fatty fish, then if not, trying to make if, sure that you get some omega, omegas.
1: Yeah. Omega 3s only though, um, okay. because omega 3s have got EPA and DHA in it. Okay. okay, so those two are the fatty acids that you want to get from omega 3. Now, most omega supplements will have 3, 6, and 9. Okay. Uh, omega-6 is actually inflammatory which okay. is not bad because inflammation we need inflammation if you have an injury you definitely want inflammation to go there but mm. the problem is you get chronic inflammation and this ties into with cold water exposure as well i was about to say so,
0: that i will going to breath working cold after this and keep going on nutrition yeah
1: yeah yeah so um uh, where was i so inflammation so The problem is that our western diets have accounted for foods that are higher in omega-6 which is absolutely fine we just don't eat enough omega-3s to counterbalance that so we used to work on a one-to-one ratio of omega-3 to 6 i think the studies now say that it's like 17 to 1
0: so you can see how
1: yeah in favor of omega-6 so that's why i personally um supplement omega-3s okay Um, and, a bit, and the one that I buy actually has vitamin D in it. So I'm killing two birds with one stone and then I do my uh, magnesium at night and sometimes in the morning as well. I take probiotics. Um, I try not to complicate it too much, but I am a huge fan of drinking bone broth. So I bone drink broth. bone broth every day. Yeah, okay. it's, it's high in L-glutamine. L-glutamine helps repair the stomach lining. So um, your gut microbiome is extremely important in brain health and I find that the bone broth is really good at repairing gut lining so anyone that's suffering with a leaky gut or bloating or me- even mental health because there's a g- gut brain access mm. that's directly communicating i would recommend a bone broth okay. homemade
0: homemade Probably. all right we'll yeah. get people get people under those bone broth
2: yeah <laughs>
0: omega-3 um and so what, did you say a few of the vitamin b b's is there any of that yeah, ones so a
1: bit of, yeah well Actually, I don't know loads about vitamin Bs, uh, but I, you can get those from food. So okay. I do personally, supplement, for but foods. if you wanted to, yeah, yeah, aim for foods or aim for multi multivitamin. The, the ones that I would be looking into is either deficiencies, what you can't get from food. And like I said, the sun, you can't get vitamin D3. You can get vitamin D3 from some foods, but it's not, it's not abundant. Not enough. Okay. It, it, it synthesizes through the skin so right. yeah as i said we don't have some so i supplemented
0: <laughs> all right awesome so there's some good ones there for people to take away i'm going to quickly touch on this because this is something that's crazy in the world right now energy drinks how bad are they for us
1: uh i'm not i'm not sure it depends i guess it depends on the sugar. which one yeah. on in them yeah i personally would steer away okay. um, caffeine and like people that drink pre-workout I'm like caffeine does the same thing just mm. drink caffeine why are you gonna yeah. go spend money on pre-workout we can just enjoy a cup of coffee have a coffee um, yeah and also you've got to ask yourself why are you relying on those energy drinks you know yeah are you not sleeping enough are you yeah I don't I don't know exactly what's in there yeah it, you know all the additives the aspartame asparta and like
0: too much sugar not good for the brain
1: no 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 no, sugar is like, it, it's neurodegenerative to the brain. I mean, we know this, right? Sugar is really bad for the brain. It also mimics cocaine essentially. Um, so it's it's highly addictive.
0: We will get to cocaine the in a kill. minute. <laughs>
2: <But
0: Yeah. laughs> I, I want to talk to you just quickly about um, cold therapy and breath work because I saw your ears pick up a little bit when I said the word breath work before. Have you, do you yeah. know who Wim Hof is, Wim Hof technique or just breath work? In I'm a big fan and yeah, yeah. Um, I do talk about it a bit on this podcast. I speak about it with a lot of athletes and I also have a group called the 1% Club where I take them through breath work sessions. Um, well, not me. I have a breath work coach, Rory. Shout out to Rory. Right. I'm sure you'll probably listen to this. Um, yeah what's what does breath work do for the brain and cold therapy as well
1: yeah so I actually did the Wim Hof I didn't go with Wim Hof but I did the course with one of his sort of his guys one of my friends in London uh it was great it was so cool I mean I felt have you you ever done the full 45 minute shebang where you you do like 10 rounds yeah I've
0: done I was
1: so euphoric I love it. it's crazy actually yeah that's another thing I wanted to say is I do that I've, I've been a bit rubbish with it lady but i do that on, before going to bed mm. um because i love that feeling i put my like meditation music on it's like trippy yeah
2: it's super
1: trippy and i just go into the state where i'm like i'm just oh i love it <laughs> so yeah um, so i actually speak about this the, his research it's really interesting so I think it's important for me to mention though that I do the breath work because I am a trained individual. So most people that have never done an ice bath or haven't done breath work, cyclic hyperventilation or tumor breathing or Wim Hof breathing, uh, they will, their norepinephrine in the brain will go skyrocketing, which is great. But in trained individuals, they actually notice that their adrenaline goes up but they were able to maintain normal levels of norepinephrine. And that's the key here is that I can do it because I've, I've been doing it so it doesn't mm. hype me up for bed it actually it, i stayed yeah. made the same so i think that's the trickier so if you're going to start doing wim Hof, i probably wouldn't recommend doing it at nighttime before going to bed because it does take a while for your brain to get used to it um, okay. so what's great about Wim Hof is that it spikes the adrenaline but it does spike norepinephrine and that huge spike of adrenaline actually is important for immunity so your immune is based on adrenaline the adrenaline spike is 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 important for uh, sort of cytokines that are essential for for immunity i won't get too much into it but so um back to your question about brain health it, it cold water exposure again increases BDNF, which is great and it, it, also incre- it can increase norepinephrine and it will, to some extent, increase it anyway. Um, and norepinephrine in acute states, again, is, is good. Um, the problem is that when norepinephrine is there in, so because norepinephrine also is a prerequisite for neuroplasticity, so it's it's fine. It's just that when norepinephrine is abundant in the brain in sort of chronic states, then you start getting low mood, anxiety, depression, um, et cetera. So... I hope that answers your question because it is quite an intense topic Oh yeah it's very
0: complex but I just think just touching on it from a neuroscientist point of view just uh, validating that breath work and cold therapy is something that people should at least implore a little bit have a bit of curiosity about and I do encourage Um, people yeah to join the one percent club and I do have my friend Rory does give us a free session once a month for 45 minutes which amazing yeah
1: yeah, I am I, a huge believer in breath work. And also because you can control your nervous system like that. You can go up to get ready for work. I mean, you can like do sort of um, breathing and like three, five, five breathing that gets you hyped. You can do breath work for immunity, Wim Hof. Mm. Uh, you can do slower breath works, so like double in longer exhale or box breathing to calm your nervous system. Mm. So it's just for me. So that's a lot of the work I do is like neuro hacking is for me essentially is your mental health is in my opinion the ability to be able to toggle from one task to another and the brain state to another because you're, you're going to be stressed you're going to have to be focused you're also going to have to be calm and it's being able to interchangeably move from one state to another mm. for me the agility to be able to do that is for me having good mental health
2: yeah knowing
1: that when you're stressed it's fine to be stressed but and I'm not saying you got to push your emotions away. I get I get ostracized with this loads on my Instagram. People are like, "Ah, oh, but emotions, like you're telling us to push away. I'm not telling you to push away your emotions. I'm trying to teach you to not give in to your emotions. Build awareness. They are going to stay and that's fine, but they don't control you. Yeah, they don't control you. And you can come back down. You can obviously come back down to a state of calmness. So doing breath work and, be, and being profound and knowing how to do that is mm. super, super important. So if there's anyone that, is thinking of doing that, then that de- definitely join the 1% club. I think I might
0: do that. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to add you in and you can. But Rory's actually, yeah. I'm going to stuff this up, but he's from the UK somewhere. So you go, he's quite soothing listening to him talk with um, the press. Okay. It, it's okay. really nice. Amazing. But two last things I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about drugs and alcohol and the effect, but also, don't know how much you will know about this, but gratitude is something I talk about a lot with my podcast and my community. What is and I, and I know that gratitude and kindness do some really powerful things to the brain from serotonin and oxytocin. What are like doing kind acts and what is showing gratitude yeah. to others do in our brain?
1: Yeah, so it actually, the I've, I've spoken a couple of times about this, not very often, I should probably speak about it more, but gratitude and kindness actually strengthens the reward pathway. So when you're nice to someone it's not just for them, it's for you as well. Mm. You get a sense of satisfaction from that. And then those pathways are sort of turn into a positive feedback loop. So you're nice, it feels nice. So then you're more nice, you know? And I think it's really important because it, has, it does actually re- restructure the brain to see things from a different perspective, from a positive point of view. Um, and it teaches, so um, there's that, you know, that Latin word, amor fati, that explains how, you can see the light in all of bad, bad, even including death. And you can sort of gain and learn from everything in life. Okay. And that's mm. the principle. And that for me is essentially gratitude in a way it's because there's always a light to the dark. And mm. even though things can suck heavily, you know, and they might not seem like there's light there right then, but maybe in 10 years time, like for me with my dad, like if I, if that never happened, would I have come down this route? Would I be so sort of intrigued by the brain? and You know what I mean? So I don't, mm. I don't wish it any different. Um, and being able to translate that into everyday life. So, okay, I'm really stressed right now, but I'm grateful because I've got all of this. And it, it teaches your brain to, again, not have an effect. You Remember I spoke to you about the default mode network, how you automatically jump to negative assumptions.
2: Mm.
1: That can be changed. And that can be changed through meditation. That can be changed through gratitude changing your narrative so that when things go wrong you can better you're better equipped to deal with them mm. because you know that there's a growth coming from there somewhere
0: yeah you're so react, that's reacting that's- in a different way to it might be the same situation that's happened before but the way you react to it is how you basically control and- your future
1: Exactly. And on a neurobiological level, that releases oxytocin. Now, oxytocin is a huge modulator for plasticity. So, mm. you know, if you're grateful about a situation, you're also changing the way your brain is going to perceive that situation. So you're actually changing the brain structure. You're actually changing your brain structure. So that's why, um, you know, and, and oxytocin is there to sort of aid that, that change and solidify those thought patterns.
0: Yeah, so So, interesting. I love just, it's so nice hearing things that people do look at as a bit of a, with a bit of connotation to it around like kindness Mm. and gratitude. But I really love the science that is behind it. And it's so nice to hear you speak of it like that. And that um, Latin word you use, this is going to be my little excerpt for this podcast for sure. I think you just articulated (laughs) and told that story so well of the power of gratitude and kindness. So thanks for sharing it like that. I really um, appreciate that. All right, on to the last little thing that i want to talk to you about because i want to make some um changes in my life i want to say around certain things and one thing i have noticed that can potentially have a big change in my life is around partying and alcohol so and just all sort of partying things what effects do recreational drugs have in our brain and then we'll move to alcohol to finish off the podcast yes
1: yeah, so um I guess there's a a spectrum of party yeah. drugs, right?
2: So
0: yeah, and let's go right, short and we- long term too, because that's I think people like obviously there's the next day hangover sort of feeling, like the come down, but then more so like what it's doing to us in the long term, because like even like cigarettes, you see those. Photos of lungs after years and like obviously, I mean, I don't know when I go talking into it, but like what vapes are probably doing to our brain because we probably don't even know. But let's just stick with like yeah, this spectrum of drugs. Let's start with just like party drugs from like ecstasy, cocaine, MDMA.
1: Yeah. Okay, so I'll talk about cocaine first because I think cocaine's probably one of the worst drugs up there, and for me, it's up there with heroin and meth. Now, cocaine is also very heavily glamorized, especially in London. It's like people use it without even realizing
0: how it bad is here it is. too
1: yeah yeah really really bad and um it 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 messes with your dopamine system Now, your dopamine system is your 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 motivation your motivation to do things your motivation to to gain things so it it actually has neurodegenesis in the hippocampus and it also messes with your orbitofrontal cortex which is essentially your task completion so that's why people that do a lot of cocaine they can't bring themselves to actually finish tasks because they don't have enough dopamine to to gain that motivation to do the task Um, so they essentially are relying on a neuromodulator that their brain can't really make anymore or needs a higher threshold to reach before they can sort of reach that threshold of I'm going to start doing something because if you want to do something you have to drive sort of dopamine into the brain and then you do it right yeah. but if that threshold if you're sort of saturating the receptors in the brain for that threshold to then move on to action mm. it's going to take a lot more sort of effort for you to want to do things yeah it also um, it also changes the plasticity in the hippocampus. As I said earlier, I said neurodegenerative, but that's not right. It actually changes the neuroplasticity in a way that makes you want more of it, okay? so it's the it's, addiction. It's, it's, yeah, and that's where the addiction part comes in is that it actually, it, the way it exists mechanisms, it's through genetic changes. So it actually starts down-regulating your genes in a way that makes you want more of it. And that's really scary, right? Mm. Like to, to have something change your genetic makeup. So um, I won't go too much into it, but your epigenetics are essentially how you interact with the world. Now, your epigenetics can either be upregulated or downregulated. They can either be good or bad. So they can be downregulated in a way that creates um, problems so like cancer or stress or depression. And those are actual genes that are being switched on or or off. It depends mm. on sort of the... The, whatever we're talking about so that for me is already scary in itself and that actually yeah. sleep does that too if you don't get enough sleep it down regulates genes um and i the reason i want to talk about cocaine i think is because it's so heavily used and mm. so not spoken about and that's just the same reason why i have an, an issue with alcohol um because alcohol is is they actually did a study here in england i don't know if it was the same for the for australia but They put it on a harm scale, and alcohol was higher up on the harm scale than any other drug. Mm. Okay, more than meth, more than meth. Yeah, but now the the other thing that that study doesn't take into consideration is that alcohol is legal and the rest are illegal. So if there were illegal, sorry, if the other drugs were legal, would they have similar scales to that because there'll be more usage? I don't know. Mm-hmm. so it's important for me to mention that part but it, it was it was ranked really high, high highest on the yeah. harm scale I find it like interesting scary.
0: yeah like you said with cocaine we kind of get told at school or whatever that it's bad for you but never get told the science and actually articulated like you just did what it's doing to us and I'd never really yeah. heard I mean I had done like small bits of research myself and understood kind of but yeah it's something that is so commonly used in Our demographics. So, I think just hopefully this podcast and making some content from this might at least educate some people before they make those decisions. I know for me, I've definitely changed my mind about a a lot of things from this chat. And I know, yeah, with recreational drugs and stuff, I'm sure my friends and peers around me and myself included will have a different view on those things just from this conversation. But I do want to talk about alcohol a little bit more, what it does to us, because I've personally looking for some things that I want to change in my life over the next 12 months. And we did chat a bit earlier off air and over the last couple of weeks over Instagram and alcohol is one of the big factors of, like you said, the most harmful thing. What does alcohol do to our brain and what effects would it have for me personally, or just for anyone, if I took say a year off alcohol?
1: You would have great effects. I mean, I actually can't wait for you to have done that. So you can come back and tell me, you'll probably realize you don't really want to drink again. Mm. I mean, I've given up drinking because I drank so much and then um, I realized how badly it like, affects my mental health. And I just slowly came off it. I didn't make a choice. I didn't say I'm going to stop. I just sort of started weaning off. And I think the the more profound my social connections became, the less I felt the need to want to drink. I mm. also don't really have friends that drink that much anymore. Um, yeah. And that's not to say I don't want to be friends with the ones that do because, you know, but I've somehow um, started surrounding myself more with people that don't drink, which is amazing. And we, and we have loads of things to do besides drinking, which is I didn't yeah. really realize that I was drinking loads. I was like, what do people do with yeah. Um Now I'm like, the clubs even still exist. Um, <laughs> but alcohol, they actually released a study recently and I actually learned this from the brain docs. So I think I should give them credit before I talk about the paper because if it weren't for them, I wouldn't have found it but they are the brain docs on Instagram. They're great. Um, But they um, published a paper that showed that even having one drink a day had neurodegenerative effects on the brain. Um, So previously we thought that it was only in high quantities, uh, which it is. It actually shrinks the gray matter in the brain. You can actually see photos of brains and I might send you one later, how they sort of like shrivel in and Mm -hmm. that's quite scary, right? That's it's, it's really bad for your cognition. It's obviously it's really bad for your brain health, but you lose a certain part of yourself, you know? If you had to lose your frontal cortex, you wouldn't be who you are. And if your brain size is diminishing, forget about the memories, forget about, but being who you are in that present moment is quite scary, you know? Yeah. Not having a touch on reality and that. alcohol has got, not obviously as bad as, as, as drinking sort of four units a day, But even just having one every day consistently already has neurodegenerative effects on the brain. And as I said, you might not feel any of these effects now, but when you're older, you might suffer with things like, I mean, I don't want to say that if you drink, you're going to get Alzheimer's, but we don't really know exactly what happens with Alzheimer's. We don't know what happens with dementia. We don't know what happens with Parkinson's. We have ideas, but if we, I think we, we're lucky. We're part of a generation that's so heavily influenced by mental health and brain health that. But I would love to see what happens in sort of 40, 50 years' time. I would imagine, and I'd like to imagine that there won't be as many cases, hopefully,
0: mm.
1: on all of these sort of. Dementia is an umbrella for Alzheimer's. So I'll say dementia, but I mean dementia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know,
0: uh, degenerative diseases, kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and I think that we we don't see these effects when we're young because our bodies can bounce back and we're we, we're agile. We're, our cognition is still functioning. We, you know, our synapses are still communicating in a way that's efficient. But yeah, that all starts generating when you're old and I think that that's when the body will start keeping sort of score of what you've been doing your previous your entire life. And I think that's why it's important for me to not drink as much. Um, I still have, like, I went to a wedding on the weekend. and I had celebratory drinks, you know, yeah, yeah. here and there, but I didn't I didn't feel that need to go to the bar. And also, I'm a type of person, that when I drink, I just want to carry on. I mean, I'll end up in D A Y, which is this sort of gay club down the road and they've got great music, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm wild.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. We start losing, like, not losing, but we drink and it kind of leads to other things. And that's something that I find happening to m- myself quite a lot that next day. Like, I mean, I'm 27 and for the last 10 years, I reckon... I've drunk like between 30 to 40 weekends of the year which you yeah. look back and it's like the financial burden it has, the burden it's obviously had on my brain, the burden it has physically. and then yeah. obviously the social relationships aspect is a tricky one but like I mean from this chat and from my own curiosity, like I'm gonna pledge right now to everyone live listening yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna do i am I'm, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a year sober from the day this podcast comes out. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to document it all. So I'm going to do an extra podcast once a week on a Sunday, the Sunday that I'm normally hung over. I'm going to try and make that Sunday a day Amazing. that I'm not hung over. I have it for myself, but I'm going to yeah, document what happens socially in my life, like what I've missed out on, how it's making me feel mentally, how I'm feeling, whether I've got less brain fog, whether I've got blah, blah, yeah. blah, physically how it's making me feel financially. I just think there's so many aspects that come under yeah. the detriment of alcohol that yeah. we're not it's so socially accepted and it's so entrenched in our culture yeah, that, yeah I want to like use yeah. myself as a bit of a case study and I'm sure anyone listening will be very yeah. intrigued to see how it does and hopefully it inspires some other people to yeah just understand the effects that it's having from this conversation but yeah. then yeah maybe be like hey you know what I'm investing in myself
1: yeah you'll find I think you'll find a big difference in reaction time training as well so that's something I do with my clients is brain processing speed how quickly they can Um, perceive emotion and then react to it. And that'll be heavily influenced if you're drinking or not sleeping and, you know, all of the above, but it will be interesting for you to maybe do some kind of reaction time training test, maybe in the beginning. And then again, at the end, And I mean, that, that'll be multifaceted. That'll have, you know, the sleep will be effective. um, And then you learning potentially the skill as well, but it will still be interesting to sort of see how you, how you react cognitively.
0: Yeah I'll, yeah, I'll 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 make that I'll be conscious of that and see how I'm feeling. I'll see if I can be a bit quicker with everything, but fire yeah. this this has been such a fascinating chat and I'm very conscious of your time. I'm very appreciative and grateful that we've been able to have this conversation. I'm sure so many people have learned a lot. Um I guess like summarizing it's, we've talked about too much to even summarize, I just a few yeah. real I key t- a few real key takeaways I think for like from my point of view that I've heard is just like magnesium at night's important. Trying to yeah, build that routine is a really good way to implement new habits. Um, yeah. Oh, there's just so many things. The omega three, <laughs> just yeah. easy takeaways that people can like sleep. put into their life. Sleep is a massive one. Make sure you're getting that eight hours sleep. So so important. Yeah. Um, and then I just think being it a,
1: all boils down.
0: So yeah, I was going
1: to say, I think all of these things build down to one thing, and it ties in with meditation. Is that fi- is that finding that self awareness?
0: Yeah yeah absolutely and putting
1: yourself first sleep mm. and all of that is just putting yourself first
0: yeah and like we spoke about multiple times in this mental health is not mental illness mental health is not just this chemical imbalance we can change our brain with daily habits with the awareness around are we meditating are we practicing gratitude are we getting enough water are we getting enough sleep are we doing all of these things that affect our brain in the right way before just saying oh it's my mm. there's something wrong with my brain it's like we create the way our brain is and we can do that with controlled actions
1: yeah i like the way you said that but yeah 100 percent.
0: well the last yeah. question that i'd finish every yeah. one of my podcasts with and you said you listened to one or two of them so you might have heard this before but yeah. you might be prepared but what does being a good human mean to nicole nola um
1: i think taking care of yourself first Mm. so that you can then take care of others. I think if you have self-awareness of yourself, you can then have self-awareness towards others. Um, I'm big on empathy. So it's funny you mentioned that earlier. I'm actually doing some research for organizations on how they perform in the industry when they actually have more empathy within groups. Um, So being empathetic, I think it's so hard, especially navigating social media where you see something and you might get triggered. And mm. I think the first thing to do is to try and understand what that person is trying to say because you will always get, get what you think that person is saying based on how you feel. You
2: know,
1: exactly. So I think for me, being a good human is having empathy and, pers- and perspective around what other people are going through and what they're saying or what they're feeling. Or- and also, yeah, that, that situation is not absolute. They might be talking about it in the context of A. That might not be relevant mm. to B yeah but then just understand that if they're talking about it in terms of a it doesn't mean that you're ostracizing b it just yeah. means that it's just being Absolutely. aware of yourself so you can be aware of others
0: i love that so very well answered yeah. well far out like i said i've had such a fascinating chat right now this has been one of my favorite podcasts I've ever got to record just one of my favorite conversations I've got to have because I love educating myself I love being curious around these topics and I'm sure everybody listening will be so inspired to hopefully make some positive changes they might have picked up a few different things that they need to implement into their life if you do listen to this and you enjoy it everyone out there make sure you share with people I'm going to be sharing plenty of assets from this um maybe just tell everyone where you can um where they can find you your social media if you've got a website or anything i will leave it all in the show notes but if you want to let everyone know
1: oh yeah so my instagram is nicole's neuroscience uh and my website is nicole's neuroscience.com so it's really
0: pretty... <laughs> be- beautiful straight to the point <laughs> lovely well it will all be in the show notes a big thank you once again on behalf of myself and Perfect. all the good humor factory audience um, it's really cool to bring a guest that is a little bit different maybe to my my previous guest because I really want to start doing this and educating people around different things that can just make their life better and make them better humans. So big, thanks for coming on Good Humans podcast. Thank
1: you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I love the vibe when I saw you ask me, I saw, I, I liked the profile. I saw the Good Human Factory and that's really stuck out to me. So yeah, thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast.
0: Uh, it's, it's been my absolute pleasure.
1: This has been a wellbeing network podcast. <laughs>